This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Still Rowing Podcast. I am Tara McCausland, and I'm so glad you're here. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Now, we're going to do something a little different than we've ever done on this podcast. I have actually shared here an episode, a recording that I did on another podcast called Finding Joy and Peace. I was the guest on this podcast. Camille Brooks, who is the host of that podcast, reached out to me last year and wanted to have me share my experience as the daughter of a sexual addict. Now, If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I've interviewed my parents about their stories. That's episodes six and seven, and I have alluded to this multiple times on my podcast. This this experience growing up in a home where there was sexual addiction present was certainly a formative experience, and it's really shaped so much of who I am today and, and my faith, and it's really played a big role in why I'm still rowing. Now, just as a side note, Finding Joy and Peace is just a general Christian podcast. And while Camille is not currently making episodes, she actually just moved to Georgia. Her podcast is still available on iTunes if you're interested in going and listening to other episodes. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Camille Brooks. I know there would be a lot more to say on this subject, and this is something that's close to my heart. As Camille mentions, I work for the foundation that my parents established about 13 years ago, and I've come to recognize just how many people struggle in silence with pornography addiction, sexual addiction, and betrayal trauma. So if you are struggling, I will put in the show notes some information about SA Lifeline, and you can even reach out to me personally if you have any questions. But bottom line, just like any other challenge that we might face, God can help us through. And the atonement of Jesus Christ reaches farther and deeper than we often give it credit for. And there is healing and there is hope for those who struggle with addiction. So enjoy this episode, friends. Thanks for being here. Hello and welcome. This is Camille Brooks. I love to help people discover how they can find more joy and peace in their personal lives, marriage, and family, and help them discover that their sorrows can bring out the glory within them. Imagine being sat down one day and having your father tell you he was arrested for prostitution and has struggled with sexual addiction for most of his life. How would you feel? How would this change your world? How could this sorrow of betrayal be turned to your good and bring out the glory within you? Tara McCausland's mother, Ril Croshaw, shared her story in a previous podcast called The Sorrow of Betrayal Trauma, which has blessed the lives of many. I hope you will listen to it. Today, we will hear the story from the perspective of a child in the hope of blessing others who struggle with or are impacted by sexual addiction. Tara McCausland was born and bred in Utah and is the fifth of seven children 
born to Stephen and Real Croshaw. Tara served a full-time mission in England for the Church of Jesus Christ, was soon after married to her best friend, Luke McCausland, and later graduated from Utah State University with a B.S. in Family Consumer Human Development in 2007. Luke and Tara now have four rambunctious kids, ages 5 to 13 years, and live in Washington, Utah. Tara is currently serving as the Outreach Director for SA Lifeline, a nonprofit foundation that provides education and resources for those suffering from pornography, sexual addiction, and betrayal trauma. Tara loves music, white cheddar popcorn, light jacket weather, and British period films. Welcome, Tara. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Thank you, Camille. I'm so happy to be with you. Oh, I just want our guests to know a little bit about you. I met Tara through her mother, Real. Her mother did a podcast, and Tara has become my mentor. She has helped me through technology, (laughs) podcasting, and she's just been so kind to me and such a good friend that I wanted to ask her to tell her story Even though it's a little bit similar to her mother's, I felt like a child's perspective would be very helpful for our listeners today. So Tara, tell us, what was your upbringing like? Well, you know, my response might surprise some people because you might think with my history that it was all just tumultuous. But in reality, I felt like my early years were pretty idyllic in many ways. We grew up on a farm. I don't know if you know where Petersboro, Utah is, but it's just this tiny little town in Cache Valley, Utah. And we lived on 80 acres with an acre of lawn and animals and just all the space a kid would want. (laughs) And I really loved um, where I grew up. I had lots of good friends, um, plenty of opportunities to develop my interests and talents. And of course, we, we struggled as a family with the typical challenges that a family might, you know, we fought as kids and there was chaos with (laughs) seven kids, but there was order in my home and I generally felt loved and safe. So people looking from the outside in would have seen, I think, a pretty happy, successful family. However, my dad was gone a lot on business trips. He was a businessman. And I remember that my good mom, she carried a lot of the load when it came to the household and caring for the family. But otherwise, I felt like a pretty regular kid with a pretty normal family. But as I often say, you know, we're just fish in fishbowls growing up. We don't really know any different. When did you learn about your dad's addiction and how did that impact you? Obviously, it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies as I did get older and the truth started coming out in pieces, I did recognize that there was a problem in my home with my father in my parents' marriage. So my dad, over the course of 20 years, maybe that's maybe too expensive, but there were three separate disclosures. And I would say that the first two disclosures of his behavior, you couldn't really term them disclosures because as children, we were only being told that 
our dad had done something, <laughs> been involved in some behavior that was causing consequences at church. So the first disclosure came around the age of six for me. So I was pretty unaware of all that was happening. But for my older siblings, there was much more awareness, I think more trauma. But for me, kind of just a vague recollection of what was happening. In fact, I do remember that my mom gathered the five kids in her bedroom and she told us that dad had been involved in some behavior and that he was going to be uh, receiving consequences at church. We call it being disfellowshipped in our church. Uh, That was significant because my older brother would be getting baptized soon, but because of that disfellowship, my father wouldn't be able to baptize him on time. So he would have to wait if he wanted his dad to baptize him. And so more trauma for the older kids, not a high awareness on my part, but from that point forward, there was this skeleton in the closet, this looming secret that we didn't ever discuss as a family. Again, we were not told any details about the nature of my dad's behavior. There wasn't any clarity that he had an addiction. And honestly, I think for my parents, there wasn't a true awareness of what they were dealing with because pornography and sexual addiction at that time, you know, in the eighties, that was something that a lot of people didn't understand. It was kind of a, a new and upcoming field of study, but it wasn't really until the age of 12 for me personally, that my dad's addiction really started impacting me on a more personal level. So we had lived in Petersboro. My family was very settled in Cache Valley and had family and friends and again, well-established there. And kind of out of the blue, my dad said, we are going to move to Utah County just for a year. He had found a new job down there. And he explained to us that he didn't want to have to travel as much. And that by moving down uh, to Utah County for a year, he could get this new business up and going. And then we would move back to Cache Valley. But in reality, what my father was doing was he was running from his addiction. As many addicts do, he had started with pornography, but at this point in his life, he had escalated to frequenting adult establishments and soliciting prostitutes. Whenever he would go through Salt Lake on his way to work, that was where he would act out. And so in an effort to try and nip this in the bud, so to speak, on his own, he moved the family. That was the beginning of a lot of instability for my family and anxiety. As we moved three times within a year, I was a young teen and didn't have friends and just feeling anxious about what was happening in my family and in my personal life because I was so unsettled. That is so hard. Moving is hard for anyone, but especially when you feel that there's something wrong and you're not quite sure what it is. Your mother taught sexual addiction of a parent does negatively affect children. The combination of uncertainty between the parents and the emotional distance from the addicted parent can create feelings of anxiety and a lack of belonging and safety. It is harmful to the child's progression because she will either internalize the negative feelings by blaming herself or act out these feelings by behaving inappropriately, close quote. So how did all this uncertainty, anxiety, and lack of safety affect you personally? 
And how did it affect your relationship with your parents? So obviously being one of seven, we were all different individuals, very different personalities. And so each of my siblings was impacted in different and unique ways. At this point, when we moved from Cache Valley, my oldest brother and sister had moved out, were on missions and going to college. And and so it was the younger kids that I think felt more of that instability and anxiety at that time. And for me personally, I didn't directly tie whatever was going on with my parents to what was happening in my life. But it was after the fact, looking back that I recognized all of that instability, the moves, the lack of presence of my father, because he was gone a lot, both because he was a businessman, a traveling man, but also as one that had an addiction, he was living this double life, a Jekyll and Hyde life. He would work a lot to escape home, (laughs) to escape having to be a father, to be real, because close relationships are very hard for people with addictions. If you have an addiction, your ability to love and be loved is impaired not just because it impacts and changes your brain, but the amount of shame and guilt that you feel because of that double life and the the lying and the deceit that is happening, you are unable to open your heart to people around you. I definitely felt that disconnect from my dad. And I could see as I was getting older through, again, this tumultuous time of moving and there was there were financial challenges for my family during this time partially because of my father's behavior but also there was a lot of just shifting that he was doing in his work so just a lot of strains happening <laughs> but again didn't understand that it was it was very much tied to his behavior and his addiction but my mom I, I could see often that she was struggling I would see her emerge from her room Uh, red-faced, teary-eyed. While I was disconnected from my dad, I was very close emotionally with my mom. And you know, when you're a a teenager and you can see your mom struggling and in pain, you want to take that pain away. And boy, did I, Camille, I just, I could see her hurting. I didn't know why. And all I could often do was put my arms around her and, and pray for her and for my parents and hope that that they could recover from whatever the problem was, which again, was still this looming uh, secret, this elephant in the room that we never discussed, which uh, when my father came forward the second time, I was 14 years old and I was much more aware, much more cognizant of all that was happening. It just then became this... <laughs> Again, this elephant in the room, we knew that our dad had a problem, but we just didn't know the severity of it. We didn't know the depth of it. We certainly didn't know that he was soliciting prostitutes. For myself, I felt a great deal of concern for my parents. I personally felt like I flourished in many ways because I was a confident, resilient soul. (laughs) My older siblings didn't as much. And I had a sister who struggled, especially with her relationship with my dad feeling though as though he didn't like her, but it was really his inability to connect with her because of his addiction, if that makes sense. And the reality is, is that if you were to sit down with all seven of us kids, you'd hear a different story because it, it impacted us differently for a number of reasons. 
But I would say there was certainly just this undercurrent of shame, of anxiety, of instability, because there was the secret that we wouldn't talk openly about in our family. And that secrecy begets shame in the whole family. And that's got to be so, so hard, especially the disconnect and children maybe feeling like it's blaming themselves or or blaming your dad, not understanding what was keeping him from being able to connect with his family and oh, and all the moving and watching your mother cry. I can't even imagine how hard that must be. I think it's important what we can learn from this as listeners is that addictions of all kinds do affect the family relationships. It's important to get help to be able to improve those relationships and heal those relationships. It sounds like that you and your siblings didn't really know the severity of your father's addiction until you were in your adult years. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. So tell us about that. So I had recently returned home from my mission around this time where my father was deep in addiction, but my mom didn't know it. (laughs) I was 23 years old. I got married soon after my mission and was just in this this different and new stage of life, starting my own family. But I, I do remember distinctly the day that my father chose to come forward truly for the first time to his family. It was a September Sunday afternoon, and my parents had invited myself and my husband over for Sunday dinner. And so we, we'd come to just have a nice afternoon (laughs) when in reality it was, it was much different. So as soon as we came to their home, my dad invited us to come and sit out on the patio. And I could tell from the look on his face and the tone of his voice that he did not have good news for us. And we sat down and he proceeded to tell us that some weeks prior, he had been arrested for soliciting a prostitute and that um, he had come forward to my mom and to their bishop that day, but that he felt quite certain that he would lose his membership in our church. You know, Camille, it's interesting looking back on that experience even retelling it as many times as I have, there's always still just this pang of, of sadness, but also of gratitude, which might be surprising to our listeners, because that was the day that our family started to heal. But in the moment, the array of emotion that I was feeling, uh, deep sadness, an incredible sense of betrayal. I thought I knew this man. I, I respected and loved and admired my father for so many reasons. And to hear him say that he had been engaged in such lewd behavior as frequenting adult establishments and soliciting prostitutes over a, a period of many years. It was very, very hard for me to reconcile this man who was sitting in front of me, again, who I loved and respected, a man who also had taught me to be honest and hardworking and to live with integrity and to hear those words come out of his mouth. It was very confusing. And again, just the wide range of emotion from sadness to anger 
to confusion. It's hard to describe that feeling. To my father's credit, he chose of his own volition to come forward to all of his children that day, including their spouses. And so he took the time to either tell us in person, some of us were living locally and others were living out of state. And he made that difficult phone call, or he had that difficult conversation with each of his children. And for my brothers, they were red-faced, angry, yelling mad at my dad. And for the girls, we were all just beside ourselves, sad, emotional, just sobbing. And yet he was willing to allow us to feel what we needed to feel. There was no sense of him trying to defend his behavior or acting like a victim. He was truly accountable for his actions. He was remorseful and he was honest. I don't know that I can convey to those who are listening the importance of this honesty and this accountability and disclosure for healing for the entire family. On my mom's side, watching her, you know, she she had just been told that morning. And so I think she was, I mean, this was the third time he'd come forward. And years prior, she would think that he was sober. She would think he was doing well. When in reality, he would white knuckle for a time. And then he would just go back to behavior because he was dealing with an addiction. And you cannot heal from addiction by yourself without tools, without therapy, et cetera. And so my mom was as blindsided by this as as we were. But I think after the third time, she really thought it was over. I know that you've interviewed her, but for those who have not listened to her story, I might suggest that you listen to that episode that Camille did with my mom. She taught me that day what it means to have faith in God. She likewise didn't act like a victim. She was not highly emotional. I mean, I think she was just numb. She was. She sat there very quietly. Her example showed me that I could trust God in this process. That was really, as I said, the beginning of the healing that needed to take place for my father, for my mother, for myself, and for my siblings moving forward. Wow. A lot of different emotions going on there. A lot of pain and sorrow. And like you said, your brother's anger. That must have been so hard. I can't even imagine. But at the same time, like you said, even though it was hard, this experience was turned to your good and your family's good. It was the beginning of healing where your dad could heal because he was coming forth with full honesty and where each one of you could heal and recognize where some of the pain from the past had stemmed. You know, it probably wasn't a surprise for you when you thought about it. You knew something had been wrong. Like you said, that white elephant had kind of always been in the room. But what a relief to kind of know what it was so that you could start dealing with it and moving forward. So what was the most difficult thing for you during this period of time? You know, I'd seen other families go through similar challenges And the havoc that it wreaked on the relationships was very concerning to me because I thought, is that going to be my family story? I worried that my dad wouldn't be willing to do what it would take to recover. We'd been down this road before. He had come forward twice before. 
and he just fallen back into behavior. And so there, there was a great deal of concern that my dad just wasn't up to the task to decide and to choose the behavior for healthy living and addiction recovery. And also, of course, I was very concerned for my mom. I wasn't sure that the marriage would last. I thought it probably wouldn't. I worried that she would now be on her own. And there were still two boys at home, two of my brothers at home with my parents. They were teenagers at the time. I just thought, what, what's going to happen to my family? Will this forever fracture us? as I had seen happen to other families. And as I had described that complex emotion that I experienced when my dad disclosed, that carried on. I was somewhat distrustful of men for a time and just feeling those waves of sadness and anger that would kind of just come upon me some days. I remember time spent on my knees in my room with my head in my hands, just crying, wondering what was going to come of all of this difficulty for myself and for my family. But in all of this, I did see that God was weaving his way through our story. And I could have never predicted that something so hard and so painful could have actually turned for our good. I think it's beautiful how you saw God's hand in your life and in your family's life and that you could see the sorrow turning to your good. You know, trials usually hit us head on and often break us into pieces just as the body can go into shock after a traumatic experience. So can our souls. And this hit you head on without any notice. How did your relationship with God help your soul cope? And eventually find peace and joy in the days and weeks following your dad's disclosure. Well, I love that question because I think in all of this darkness, sometimes people can get stuck there in the darkness. But I really do believe, Camille, that all things, no matter how messy or painful, can be turned to our good if we give them to God. And so for me, my relationship with God, uh, prayer is a huge part of that. And prayer became my solace. Or on those days when I felt that wave of emotion and frustration and anxiety come over me, if I would go to my knees and I would pour my heart out to God, I could feel his love and his reassurance that no matter what happened, that he would take care of me and he would take care of my, my family. I believed God would make something good out of all of this pain, but I didn't know what the outcome would be. I felt that hope and that courage whenever I would sincerely go to him in prayer. Also, I knew that if I held onto those feelings of anger and resentment, it would just eat me alive. So the day that my father came forward, I really can't credit myself for this. I was able to put my arms around my dad, tell him I love him and forgive him. Because I knew that that was what God would ask of me to forgive my father. And now I'm not going to suggest that in every case, God expects us to forgive that quickly. <laughs> but I do believe that God 
understands that forgiveness is a gift that we give ourselves. Because when we forgive those who have trespassed against us, we are freed from those corroding uh, feelings of resentment and anger and that really can kill us. I believe that that was a gift from God that I was able to forgive my father so quickly. So I wasn't hanging on to those feelings that would have made my pain so much more uh, deep and toxic. But I will say as a side note that forgiveness is not the same as trust. And it's very important that we make that distinction in order to trust someone who has betrayed us. They have to demonstrate a change of behavior and that takes time and that trust is built drop by drop over time. And so remembering that forgiveness is not the same as trust, but that I do believe that if we choose to forgive, we will be able to move forward faster beyond the pain. And also we have been fortunate to have a happy ending and obviously it's not the end yet. (laughs) My parents are still um, working at their marriage. My dad and my mom have chosen though to actively work their recovery as individuals and in their marriage. And you know what? Miraculously, their marriage survived. It truly is a miracle, Camille. Miracles never cease. Anytime I need evidence, proof that miracles still happen, I just look at my parents. (laughs) And they are now helping thousands to find hope and healing. People who suffer from sexual addiction and betrayal trauma, they need light and examples to look to for hope and healing because it is so prevalent. And there are so many people who are hiding in the shadows, both those who who suffer from addiction and those who suffer from betrayal trauma, because there's so much shame connected to this challenge. But I love how God can make, again, our mountains, our messes, he can, he can sanctify them and allow us to become great helps to our fellow men if we will trust him enough to, to follow, follow him and his son. I love how you've taught our listeners about trust. I think first it's important for us to understand that God doesn't trust all of us. <laughs> we have to earn God's trust. God does love all of his children, but loving them does not mean that he trusts all of his children. We have to earn God's trust. And so it is for our fellow man. We are commanded to love everyone, to forgive everyone. But God never has given a commandment where he has said, you have to trust everyone. No, trust is earned. So it is for God. And so he expects it to be for us. But it's also important to understand that to forgive someone, we have to allow it. You know, I love that about you, Tara, because you were angry, but you allowed God's forgiveness to fill your heart. And some listeners may say, if they experience something like this, I can't, I can't forgive. And I would say, you're right, you can't. But God can through you. God is perfect and he can forgive those that have hurt us deeply. And all we have to do is choose to allow 
God to fill us with his forgiveness. It's his forgiveness that we give others. It's not really ours. It's his. And it makes it easier to forgive people when we understand that, that we need to just allow God to fill us with his forgiveness and his love for others. But I love that about you, Tara, because you have so much faith in Jesus Christ and you've been able to allow him to come into your heart and do things that you could never do without him. I found that sorrow deepens us. We learn things from trials that we can learn in no other way. Just like a diamond is formed under pressure, strength can be developed under the pressure of adversity. Strength forged under pressure can prepare us for greater service. I've seen this in you. Tell us, how has this sorrow let the glory out within you and prepare you for greater service to your fellow man? I feel like this sorrow has most certainly deepened my trust in God and his love and his mercy toward all of his children. The atonement of Jesus Christ, it reaches farther and deeper than I could have ever imagined. I believe that it is through the atonement of Jesus Christ that all of our wounds can be healed. I believe that all the pain and suffering that I see, even though it can be hard to witness, that God will make all things right. And this experience has helped me trust more in that. I think second, I have so much more empathy for others. <laughs> I think as a, as a child, as a youth, I was a pretty black and white personality. I saw people as good and bad. I had a pretty low tolerance for imperfection in myself. And so I was afraid of making mistakes. But having gone through this experience, I know that God loves his children. And I know that he's a God of second and third and 10th chances because of the savior. And so I can have more compassion for others, more empathy for others and for myself and believe that at any point at all times, people are worthy of love and are able to improve and change if they choose to. I think the third thing for me is also understanding how damaging shame is. So many of us carry around this toxic shame. Again, kind of going back to how I saw the world before this experience, people are good or bad. (laughs) And I think sometimes we only see the bad in ourselves and that is toxic shame. If we can only see our flaws and our weaknesses, shame damages us. Shame, it creates this fertile ground for addictive behaviors to take root. But if we can understand that connection and love for ourselves and for others are a powerful remedy to people's challenges, we will stop living in shame, stop shaming others, and the the love that can heal can be more uh, manifest in our lives. I'd also say that, as you said, these hard things that we go through they make us stronger. They refine our character. They prepare us to help and bless others. I think if there is one takeaway, that is it for me. I, as you may have mentioned in my uh, introduction, I have my own podcast and I interview people that have gone through really hard, uh, painful 
things that could break a person. And yet what I've discovered is that if they will turn those trials and those challenges over to God, it opens a door to uh, becoming a person that they never would have been before and developing an ability to help their fellow men, to mourn with those that mourn. Um, And that's certainly been the case for my parents. Uh, This hell that they waded through (laughs) prepared them to help thousands. And without these hard things, we can't. We can't help those who suffer because without suffering ourselves, we don't know how to succor those who are challenged. Sorrow opens up the spaces of our hearts and lets the glory out. I really believe that. And that's what this podcast series is called, that sorrow lets the glory out. And I've seen that in so many people. And that's one of the messages of this podcast is to teach people that no matter what sorrow they've been through, and everyone will go through sorrow. It's a part of this mortal experience. No one can escape sorrow. But some learn how to make their sorrows turn towards their good, and they become better instead of bitter. And that's what we're trying to do with these podcast series is teach people how to access the atonement and let the glory out. And we can do that through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Everything that is wrong in our lives or unfair can be made right through the atonement of Jesus Christ. I've loved that about you, Tara, and the good that you're doing in the world to make this world a better place and that you've let your sorrow be turned outward to serve others. So what counsel might you give others who are struggling with the effects of porn and sexual addiction in their lives? Well, I kind of touched on this earlier, but so often, whether we are the one struggling with addiction or the one struggling with betrayal trauma, we want to hide. Um, But if we're going to heal, we have to come out into the light. And so I would say if you are the spouse of someone who is dealing with addiction and you feel like you can't tell anyone, like you have to keep the secret, I want you to understand that his secret or her secret, but his secret does not have to be your prison. Addiction thrives in secrecy and shame. So when we bring our story and our pain out into the light, the addiction loses some of its power. So come out into the light, reach out for help. That would be my first uh, point of counsel. The second is to know that there is hope and healing available for those who suffer from addiction and betrayal trauma. So my parents, they started a foundation. Actually, it was only three years after my dad came forward that they started this foundation. It's called SA Lifeline. And they provide resources and education and also a free uh, 12-step program for those who are addicted and those who are suffering from betrayal trauma. And so we also, as a foundation, recognize that it's a multifaceted approach that we need to take to healing. And so in addition to having a 12-step group, which is very helpful in in building a community of people who understand you and understand addiction, my parents would also say qualified therapy is really essential to healing. And so finding someone who understands betrayal trauma and sexual addiction would be key for you in your healing. And if you are a child of an addict, I would recommend 12-step for you and, and therapy for you as well. 
I think most of all, I just want to leave those who are listening with hope. This is a hard and messy thing. Sexual addiction is something people do not like to talk about. But I want to give my witness that we can move beyond this pain and this hurt, that there is help, that there is hope, that there are resources to help you find peace and um, joy again in your life if you will reach out. And God will help you. God helps us as we reach out to others and we reach out to him. Thank you so much. I think that is so important for our listeners to understand that there is always hope and there are always resources available. Thank you so much. And your family is a great example of hope and that resources and faith in Jesus Christ work. Thank you for your great example. You remind me of this scripture in Matthew 11 when the Savior says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You were heavy laden, Tara, and your family, and yet the Savior gave you rest because you came unto him. And you took his yoke upon you, and you have served him with your whole heart, might, and soul, and your burden has become light because of it. What a great example for all of us, no matter what our trials are, and they will all be different from each other, but the principles that can bring healing are the same. Thank you so much for coming, Tara, and sharing such a difficult story with us today. Thank you, Camille. And I so appreciate the light and the hope that you are sharing with others. You're doing an awesome work. Keep it up. (laughs) Thank you so much. Our takeaways. First, there is hope. For families that have fallen victim to the kinds of trials experienced by Tara's family, please know there is always hope. There are so many resources available to help you. And the greatest help of all comes to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the miracle of His atonement. Russell Ballard taught, For those of you who have fallen prey to any kind of addiction, there is hope, because God loves all of His children, and because the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ makes all things possible. I have seen the marvelous blessings of recovery that can set one free from the chains of addiction. The Lord is our shepherd, and we shall not want, as we trust in the power of the atonement. I know the Lord can and will free the addicted from their bondage. For as the Apostle Paul proclaimed, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Close quote. Second, hard things can prepare us to bless others. Tara said, I love how God can take our messes and sanctify them and allow us to become great helps to our fellow men if we can trust Him enough to follow Him and His Son. Close quote. 
just like a diamond is formed under pressure, strengths can become developed under the pressure of adversity. Those strengths can prepare us for greater service to more individuals. Tara's trial deepened her faith in Jesus Christ and prepared her to make a greater difference for good. I invite you to ponder and write down the strengths you recognize have been forged out of personal adversity. Then, ask God to help you find a way to turn your sorrows into service and make this world a better place. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. If you would like a little daily motivation to keep rowing, you can find me on Instagram at churchofjesuschrist underscore sr underscore podcast and on Facebook at churchofjesuschristsrpodcast. Also, if you've been enjoying this podcast, if you would go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, that would help us spread the word about Still Rowing. Thanks again for listening.